Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman & Associates. Now here's Connie. Hi, I'm Connie Whitman, your host, and you're listening to Architect of Change on webtalkradio.net. Thanks again for joining me this week. Alrighty, my motivational quote today is actually by blogspots.com. How original is that? And the quote says, Don't worry about hard times because some of the most beautiful things we have in life come from changes and mistakes. Live with no regrets because everything happens for a reason. The words religion and spirituality are sometimes interchanged, but really aren't they two different things? So for some clarity, let's look at the definitions of both. All right, first, the word religion. It is defined as a particular system of faith and worship. And then the flip, spirituality is defined as relating to or affecting the human spirit or soul as opposed to material or physical things. All right, did that just make sense to you? Probably not. So instead of us guessing about this very complex topic, we actually have an expert today who holds an MS and PhD in religious studies, and he knows this topic inside and out. My guest today is David Lowe, and David is, in addition to holding the Ph.D. and M.S. in Religious Studies, he is also an author, former adjunct professor of religion, drug counselor, and former entertainer, he was a juggler, who today does dream work, teaches meditation, and speaks on topics in particular uh, in popular spirituality and religion. After some powerful meditation experiences, Dr. Lowe traveled extensively and visited different Hindu, Budapest, and I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but Sikh, Sikh Sufi, yeah. Sikh, Sufi, Jewish, Christian, and Orthodox Muslim groups. Soon after getting initiation from his major teacher, he began having psychic dreams, often involving angels and other spiritual guides. These guides directed uh, major decisions in his life. An epiphany in 2014 led him to write his first book, Universal Spiritual Philosophy and Practice, an informal, an informal textbook of discerning seekers. His greatest passion is getting people to tune into more profound dimensions of spirit spirituality at both the personal and political levels. So help me welcome back uh, David Lowe. David, thanks so much for being on again. Thank you, Connie. It's a wonderful experience to be here with you. Cool. Yeah. You, you, it's funny because every time I have you on, uh, I have a brother-in-law, and he loves the learning about religion and peeling back the religion and the political you know, implications. And so every time I have you on the show, I tell him, you have to listen to my show, David's on. <laughs> and he, and I, I tease him because I say, you will understand much more of what David shares than I do. And I've shared this with you before, David. This is totally out of my wheelhouse of knowledge. And again, the show is about change, and I want to change people's perspective about how they view different topics and words and stuff like that. Sure. So, I, yeah, I love having you on for that reason. Now, I have before we begin... I just want to clarify. You call Christianity and Islam, and, I'm, and in quotes, you have monster religion. And, yeah. Yeah. okay, give me a little bit of background on why you, you, you call them the monster religion. Well, monster religion is because, one, they're the two biggest, and because, two, as the greatest missionary faiths, they, uh, they sort of eat up everything, just like monsters do, you know. So I'm, it, it's really kind of half facetious. 
calling them the monster religions. They have been responsible for all all kinds of oppression and warfare and stuff like that. But of course, there are obvious, obviously great great positive things about these about these religions as well as as we'll be getting into. But they do have that monster aspect to them historically for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you know, again, for me, I'm a novice on this topic, so I have to be honest, I liked that analogy of the monster religion, because I get it, they're the two biggest, and they kind of, um, they have defined our past history, right, because of the size of them, so I liked that. That was a good visual for me, David. <laughs> All right, like, next question. Being saved is an idea that you hear in connection with Christianity, right? I was born, uh, I was raised uh, Catholic in Christianity. Right. What about Islam? Will will you not be saved if you become a Muslim? What's that? What's that all about? Well, the concept of salvation has its greatest development in Christianity, and they like to think of it as as unique to Christianity, but it's not. Um, if you get involved in a Zen group or a mosque or something, and if you end up staying with that group, it will be because something inside you consistently feels better with that group. And that something is just as valid in Islam as it is in Christianity. Okay, so there is some sort of internal mechanism responsible for the experience of, you know, quote-unquote, consistently feeling better when you're with that group or in that place. Um, so that is being saved. We can go into more detail as to what that you know psychological what that psychological dynamic is. But you know basically, if you uh, if if you think that being saved is specific to Christianity, then you're basically privileging Christianity, which of course we fundamentally can't do. So there is some central mechanism of you know semi-enlightenment, of awakening, or what have you, which happens to anybody in any major faith when they go into a place and when, for, for whatever mysterious, mysterious reason, they end up staying in that faith. They do get it in the same way that they get the same thing in Christianity. Yeah, and it's interesting because I, uh, I know I have friends who go to church every Sunday, and again, the Catholic faith, whatever faith they belong to, and sometimes I'll say to them, we have, we have a local church and they've, cha they've changed the priest, and I have to tell you this, one priest, he, he has since passed, but we would go, my kids were little, and he would dance down the aisle and shake his hands and blow kisses to everybody, and you walked yeah. out of there feeling like you were walking on air, and then other priests came in, and and you just didn't have that same sense. So um, I get I get what you're saying. It's it's a um, an emotional connection or a psychological connection of feeling good. So I guess that's the illusion of being saved. So I can relate to that. Now, yeah, Christians, it's, 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 the, the important thing to understand: there is some internal, profound psycho spiritual dynamic which happens when a person first gets it, yep. whatever the faith is, and right. that is the same for everybody. In Christianity, it's called being saved, which, which has had a lot of literary development in the, in the scriptural sources and so forth. But mm -hmm. you find it in all faiths, all, 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 although in a very different form, externally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, and, and really, all the religions kind of are the same, right? They're written information that was written by someone, by, by a man's perception, I, I would think. Now, Christians think that Jesus is the Son of God, right? Right, David. And Muslims think that Muhammad is the seal of the prophet. In what way are they really the same thing? Well, this is interesting. I mean, for me, the Son of God, the concept Son of God and the concept prophet are both misnomers. They both um, 
exists, but neither of them are special categories in the way that in, in the way that folks in those religions like to think. I mean, we're all sons of God. We're all sons and daughters of God. In Jesus's case, that idea acquires a mythical dimension. Um, prophecy. I mean, the theology in Western theology, a prophet is anybody to whom God gives the gift of powerful teaching. Some are more powerful than others, but but you know, lots of but you know, there there are all kinds of powerful teachers. Um, now, some of them are exceptional, sure, like Moses and Jesus and so forth, but that doesn't make them a different species of human being. Okay, so for me to accept the claim of these religions that, that these teachers are that exceptional, I would have to. I, I mean, I personally would have to accept the notion that that there is another species of Homo sapiens. There isn't. There isn't. And we all have a certain gift for prophecy, although it may be sm- small in most cases, insofar as we can be inspired by God to teach in whatever way we are meant to teach and communicate important stuff. But some people have that gift exceptionally. But the very greatest people who have those gifts aren't essentially different from anybody else, except in that they, in, except in that they have that gift to the greatest extent. But they're not different kinds of human beings. (laughs) Okay, so now you've had psychic dreams involving angels, spiritual guides, and they've directed major decisions. So are you, not that you're a prophet, I I realize that, but I know you're not the son of God, but are you on a different plane or are you more tuned in? Because, you know, your your passion, like I read in my introduction, is that people tune into that more profound dimension. So are you just more tuned in to that enlightenment or whatever word you want to use right well first of all i have a certain amount of gift for prophecy as everybody does me perhaps more than average uh, because i enjoy teaching and so forth um as far as being tuned in goes i have taken the time to expose myself to all kinds of spiritual influences and done all these practices which maybe has opened me up a little bit more than average to you know to um, the supernatural dimension of existence and to higher reality. But that doesn't mean other people can't. And that does a lot of other people do the same thing unconsciously, just mm-hmm. things that happen to them in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it's what I've done with my life is nothing exceptional or unusual. Um, and so, yeah, if you take a poll of people who've had powerful dreams of one kind or another, who've had psychic experiences and whatnot, you'll find that, I mean, it's, it's something like 60, 80 percent or something like that have had really powerful experiences of one kind or another. I've had a lot more than average because I've gone out of my way to find them and to take an interest in them through practice and so on. But it's nothing exceptional, really. I like how you say that it's a practice, and it's really true, David. All of these things that you know, I talk about on the show, whether it be business-related, from sales, leadership, to the spiritual, you have to practice. Otherwise, the skill will never develop, or you, you never get better at addressing, you know, in this case, you know, seeing angels and, and guides. I had a gentleman on, um, he quite brilliant, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the aura, change your aura, change your life, was the title right. of his book. And, you know, I would love to see auras. You know, I'm all about that. Can I see them? And he, in the show, he said, if you tune into it, eventually you will have, the, everybody has the capability, right? We just block things out. So he said, sure, there's ways with practice that you can tune into seeing people's auras, et cetera. We definitely feel it but you could certainly feel it. Uh, feel it. Yeah. So practice, yeah. yeah, it's like anything else. I love that. What, David, why are 
these religions, the ones we're talking about, more missionary by a long shot than some of the other ones that some of the other religions that are out there. This is really interesting. If you, um, there, there are two ways of being missionary. The first is for you to think that your religion is uniquely good, and that, and, and as a result of that, your ego identifies with it, and you feel morally compelled to get everyone else on board because that's what good people do. Sure. Otherwise, you otherwise you you would be being selfish, right? If you, sure. If you're, Otherwise, you know, if, if you're going to be selfish, then you would keep it just for yourself instead of trying to convert everybody else. The other level of being missionary is to realize that, again, generically, as far as all religions go, there are often mysterious forces involved in making some people more happy and fulfilled than others. And maybe just by spending time with these people, something will rub off onto them. So, you know, th- that's what Catholic charities do. They don't try to convert you or anything, but they will go out of their way to educate you and, 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 and fulfill your medical needs and so forth. So um, the mystical level of understanding missionary work is that, as I understand it, you know, the nature of the Enlightenment experience is that it's one of, like, overflowing love and joy and bliss. There's this unending source unfathomable source of continual of continual overflowing and manifestation of joy and bliss like more and more and more and more you know so on the physical level that means like trying to spread it everywhere you see what I mean yeah if you can imagine being in touch with a mountain spring say your heart is a mountain spring that pure water is continually pouring forth out of nowhere you know creation joy love bliss is like that it's just this continual surging forth out of nothing this supreme effulgence which is pervading everything and which continues to flow and get bigger and greater that's the experience of enlightenment it goes it's continual it never stops and so when it comes that on the physical plane that that would express itself as missionary work wanting to help wanting to help everybody else have that experience as well as yourself okay so if I'm understanding that no no I, I, I think I got that so if I'm understanding that when we do missionary work and it's just from the heart and you just try to help your neighbor and people being around that rub off and then they pay it forward right they'll, they'll do it. that's how this your analogy of the spring right the more I do and I affect more people hopefully they pay it forward and do more and more and more to share you know goodness and right, on the right. flip side the flip side people who are perhaps overly religious it's more about sharing their beliefs because they think that they should be doing that so they're unselfish did I understand yeah, that? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Otherwise, they're being selfish, so they feel morally compelled to share it with others. But deep, deep, deep down, you know, they're they not quite right in their understanding. So as a result, in order to convince themselves that they're right, they conquer and conquer and conquer as much as they can to convince themselves that they're right. That's the whole story. Yeah, warfare historically. I was just, isn't that so funny? I was just going to say, David, you took the words out of my mouth. That to me is the cause or the root oftentimes of war because now if I believe so uh, deeply and you just say, nah, you know, I don't buy it, I just don't buy it. And then there's where the conflict arises because it's such a deep rooted sentiment, I guess, right? 
and you have to keep convincing yourself that you're right. Right, and that's where that... Of course, deep, of course, deep, deep down, you're not. It's all the same right. for everybody. But if you that's think right. you're special, then you're going to have to keep convincing yourself that you're special. So you go conquer everybody continually. You never stop. Yeah. And so these religions become monsters. Yeah. Again, <laughs> back to the... I, I love it. Yeah. Back to the analogy of the monster. But yeah, it's so, um, so poetic and true. Let's take a quick break, Dave. Um, and then when we come back... We're, I want to talk about um, believing in the Messiah and the Day of Judgment, all right? And, and we'll talk a little bit about that, all right? So quick break, and then, then we'll hit that one. Cool. It's a shame when you're feeling stuck in your business and you feel like you have nowhere to turn. It's a shame when you slog through long days in your business and you don't get any return. It's a shame when you feel like you can't see the forest for the trees and your business brings you to your knees. Einstein said repeating the same actions over and over won't produce different results. So stop feeling ashamed. Your business and you deserve better. Change that shame into righteous fame. Connie Whitman can tame that shame. Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates will help you to discover your new path, and nothing will ever be the same. Connie's tried and true one-on-one coaching sessions will tame that shame so you and your business will not continue in vain. Call Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates today at 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. Call Connie. Turn that shame into your game. We are back. We are speaking with David Lowe. He is my expert on really religion, spirituality, the combination of all of that good stuff. Really, plus a lot of historical, uh, Dave, David, informa- you have a lot of historical uh, data and information through your studies about these religions, which we, we've spoken about in um, previous shows. So if you're interested, guys, go back and listen to some really cool stuff that we covered during those shows. All right, so now... David, um, they both, the religions we're talking about, they both, both believe in a Messiah and a day of judgment, and you say the orthodox versus mystical differences here is especially interesting. So how do you understand that mysticality or mystical, mystically, mystically? Mystical interpretation. Mystical sure. interpretation, sure. thank you. <laughs> and so, so the orthodox understanding of this is in both, in all three of these religions, especially Christianity and Islam, there's like an actual battle. You duke it out, and there's going to be thunder, lightning, the earth will tear itself apart, and so forth. Um, you know, psychologists who study religion and who understand the mystical perspective generally think that that whole battle, that whole cosmic battle between good and evil, which we can see like Star Wars and so forth, mm-hmm. that's, a, that, that's like a metaphorical portrayal of the psychological turmoil which we have to go through leading up to enlightenment. So, people in Orthodox religion don't believe in enlightenment. You, you can get, you can get closer to heaven. You can get, you can go to heaven and be closer to God, but union with God is impossible. It's delusional to think that that's possible. So, um, so the the mystics, of course, realize that that union is what everybody eventually experiences. That, that that's what happens to everybody at some point in their spiritual level. We finally get to that. We finally go back to where source happens to everybody. So the notion of this battle is like an indirect recognition of the wrenching changes our mind have to go through before reaching enlightenment. Um, and the actual experience of enlightenment, the final, you know, someone's been meditating to practice all his life following a guru and so forth. And the actual final experience before you have this great breakthrough is often very frightening. 
you know, you, you go through a lot of turmoil relating to fear, grief, anger, and all this. So all those animal things have to be cleared out. But it's a very, very, it's often a very scary experience. And so, you know, the battle is a, is a metaphorical portrayal of that, sort of an indirect recognition of that process, even though consciously the person still believes in that enlightenment is not, not possible. Um, and the Messiah is simply is again a, a metaphorical is a metaphor for the agency which which is responsible for that final breakthrough, which is of course the grace of God. You know, but the grace of God almost always manifests simply as a powerful internal awakening. It's not somebody who comes down from the sky and says, "Hey, follow me." <laughs> you know, so so this battle and this Messiah are metaphorical portrayals psychological turmoil leading up to enlightenment and of the agency through which enlightenment happens which of course is simply grace um, so it's sort of an indirect recognition of that reality even though the person consciously still believes that enlightenment is delusional you see what I mean Yes. Okay. So let me let me ask you a question now. You know, we we hear so much about on the spirituality side that we are one with source, one with God, whatever you call it, right? So that you and I are connected, and we are God, right? I am God. I am that whole I am thing. So is I I guess I'm I'm confused with that piece. If we already are and we believe that I am God, right? I am part of God, then. Am I enlightened or I still have a ways to go? (laughs) Well, that's interesting because what they tell us, what these great teachers tell us is that you already are enlightened. You just have to remember it. Ah. Okay. So this is the greatest paradox of existence. Here we are in human form, sons and daughters of God, already completely united with God, one with him, and yet we've forgotten you know, he hid himself in the most unlikely and forgettable place on earth, which is deep, 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 deep inside us. Um, he didn't hide himself anywhere outside because then we could go find it, right? Right, right, that's he right. If he hid himself on the moon, we would go to the moon to find him. No, he's right. inside. Deep, 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 deep inside. And the whole paradox and process of life, the purpose of life is to get back to that, is to find it again, is to realize it on your conscious as well as your super, super, super subconscious level. So, I mean, that, 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 that's the whole paradox of life and the whole paradox of mystical spirituality. Yeah. Which is exactly what you say. We already are in light. We just have to remember it. And it's like, you know, I use, I, I, when you just said that, I felt like he gave us, when we were born, he gave us a little shot in our neck that said, okay, you're going to forget me. <laughs> Amnesia, go figure it out now, find right, it. Right, right, And two things are true at the same time. One, we all have to go through stages of growth. Mm-hmm. Two, any of us with the right understanding right now can be enlightened without going through those stages. <laughs> That's impossible. It's, it's impo- right. It's it, right. It really it is. It's impossible. Right? We have to go through that turmoil to come out the other end, or like you said, to have the Messiah. What did you call it? The um, I want to say catalyst. I know that's the wrong word. Uh, well, the, the the agency. The agency. That was the word. The agency what, to right. to get what there. Is the yeah. Agency. What what is the agency which affects this interchange, which which gives us that breakthrough? Great. Yeah. The grace yeah. of God. God's yeah. unmerited favor. You know what's so interesting to me, David, when I when I speak with you, I, I, 
I understand most of it. I have to admit, sometimes I don't understand all of it. And I know others feel that way. My listeners are like, yeah, neither do we. But here's the thing. I like how you peel back the onion for us to let us understand that religion and those emotions and our beliefs and all of that stuff are real, are real for us, but that there's something deeper that we should seek, I guess, the truth that we're not perfect and we're not right and our, my right isn't the right way, that there are alternatives out there. So I just, I like how you, um, like the monster, that was a good imagery for me and the, and the, the, the uh, water, you know, springing out of the, the natural resource and being uh, unending. I, I just, I like these because it makes us right. understand that there's more, there's more to our onion. We need to keep peeling it back, right? Yeah, it sure is. So yeah. cool. It's, it's just cool. Now, another question. There's original sin in Christianity. Again, that's how I was, I was raised. But it, there, it's right. not so in Islam. How, how are they the same? Well, both Islam and Judaism reject the notion of original sin. But the problem is that, you know, I mean, uh, on the surface, original sin is this notion that you have to get rid of in, in Christianity in order to be able to go to heaven. Deeper down... Um, and, and historically, it's just like a very useful notion because it gives you the idea that that, that, that that you are this little thing, always separate from God, continually and fundamentally imperfect. You're never going to get anywhere unless the priest tells you, do this, do this, and you're approved. Um, so <laughs> philosophically, the deeper, more profound meaning of original sin is thought by mystics to be, and this makes all the sense in the world, it's just this sense of profound separation from God. You know, here we are, these little human beings, limited, with 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 like very very circumscribed uh, uh, abilities to you know to uh, to to affect the universe around us. We're small. We're very um, limited. We are. We feel inferior. We feel frightened of the universe and so forth, because it's so overwhelmingly vast and majestic and powerful and godly and so forth. But you know, so that is the sense of we are separate from our Creator because our Creator is so huge, frightening, majestic, and overwhelming. No, no, no. We ourselves are huge, frightening, majestic, and overwhelming in our true nature. So um, that sense of separation that that primordial sense of littleness, of smallness, of limitedness, of, of, of against this vast universe that you can never get back to, um, that is a sense, that is a more, more profound understanding of original sin, insofar as we can't do anything about it because of these little things and against this vast universe, and how do you possibly approach the idea of uniting with all that stuff? That's original sin, the sense of littleness that you can't possibly get over, the primordial separation from God. And Jews and Christians, you know, Christians and um, Muslims and Jews share that just as much as Christians do. So in that sense, it doesn't really matter that the notion of original sin is not in those faiths, because we all experience it. And that's sad. That's kind of sad that... that and. and I know. You, I mean, we meet people, right? You read about people that do feel smaller or feel that they can't get out of a situation 
because they don't have any power. And I think there's an element of that that we're taught that again through our religion that we are separate and we are weak and we are puny and, and all those things. It's just at the, at the base of it, it's it's just kind of sad to me. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, I mean, Orthodox religion has always been about basically, you know, um, um, supporting social norms and supporting conventions, and that means, you know, keeping your place in society, right. everything runs smoothly, and not creating any disturbances and not creating any funny doctrines which get people thinking differently. Yeah, yeah that, that's that, that's, that, that's Orthodox religion. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, sad. there that's are good things about it. Yeah, there are good things about it. You know, so yeah. Again, but they try to keep us small, so I don't like that. <laughs> okay, last question. We have like three minutes left. Both Christianity and Islam, and Jude actually Judaism too, they feature a very masculine God. Hmm, what's with that? There's a major philosophical problem with that. What do you, what do you, um, what do the mystics say about that, Dave? Well, the theology tells us that at a certain point in history, God judged that we were ready to understand his true nature. Previous to that, we were all sort of polytheists who believed in a spiritual ecosystem, like um, um, indigenous peoples do. So Abraham was the first guy in the Old Testament to get it. God said, we're ready. The human race is ready to understand my real nature. I'm going to teach Abraham. He'll teach everybody else. So, you know, the problem with this mass, with this one God is there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the one God, but what we do with it, our ego identifies with it. We transcend nature. We, yeah. look, down on, we look down on everything, and we want to fix, manipulate, and destroy it because we think we're better than it. Because we are finally above and beyond nature, looking down on it. It's, it's a very subtle ego trip. And everyone in these religions who believe in them, uh, or in an orthodox sense, is subject to this. The sense that somehow you're separate from the earth, better than it. You want to fix nature and so forth. And that, that, that suppresses the feminine element of the earth. The, the, you know, for, the you know, fertile, creative aspect of plants and animals, all of which spring out of the earth. So all that's suppressed, leading, to, leading indirectly down the line to behavioral guidelines and dress codes for women and so forth and abuse of women and so on and so forth and also you know the the the, with the wonderful polytheistic traditions which celebrate nature you can't have those anymore because people people need clarity you got there has to be either one this masculine god hating everything or another the feminine god you know being being all um you know sinful and paganistic and so forth they're both true they're both true at the same time yeah. You need to accept both of them. You know, that's the only way we can get along. This this notion of a masculine God destroying everything. It's it's inevitable that people make those associations with this one God because you trans which transcends the earth, which is like a more masculine orientation of kind of fixing and destroying and and you know compartmentalizing things inevitably occurs. Nature gets kind of suppressed. The feminine element gets suppressed, and we don't recognize these other traditions. So it, it's inevitable, and you can overcome it, but it takes a lot of philosophical understanding not to do those things when you, when you identify with this one God. So I, I, that, that's like a big, complex issue, which you probably only half understood, but that's within the no, time we it, have available. You know, do you want to laugh, David? This is how, and again, see, I go, I go to visuals when you talk. So this is what I understood. You know, here God says, all right, they're ready for me. They, they, they should understand who the heck I am. He teaches, and who, what was the prophet that he taught? He taught 
Abraham? Well, he taught Abraham in the Abraham. Old Testament, the first the okay. first guy to really get the monotheistic, what I call the monotheistic insight. Abraham okay. was the first to understand it. All right, so he teaches Abraham, and he goes, go forth and teach my people, right? Teach teach the, the elements of me. And he goes out, and all I picture is the telephone game after that, that we have bastardized this pure essence of what God wanted us to understand who he was and how we are the same as him, and now we bastardize that and turns it into a masculine feminine thing. No, yes, close? Is that close? (laughs) Well, the the, the thing to appreciate is how profound and inevitable that is to understand in kind of a masculine way because you automatically identify with this transcendence. You're above and beyond everything. You know, and so therefore you can kind of look down on nature and say, this is worse than my purity up here. You manipulate, compartmentalize, and destroy it because you you want nature to be more like you. And that is uh, nature is inherently sinful. Nature is inherently dirty, unkempt, uh, unpredictable, doesn't follow rules. It's not transcendent above and beyond everything. <clears throat> it's a very, very profound psychological tendency to think this it, way. Yeah, it really is. And, and the bottom line is that man has, has made these compartmentalized definitions of the different components of what we're talking about. So, you know, and you know the the phrase that well, we after all we are just human. So yeah, after all, we are just human, right? And that's why we have to go through that whole enlightenment process to be able to see that there is no masculine, feminine, and all these other things that we're talking about. Oh my God, you just you make my brain work really hard, David. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and you know what? It's all about again. That's what my show is about. I think is about teaching people different perspectives, whether you agree or disagree. It's cool, man. I get it. But that you force me to look at things from a different perspective helps me and my growth. And I love it. I think it's, it's amazing. So, you know, as always, thank you for being such an eloquent guest. Um, you do, you speak beautifully. You, you, uh, again, I see, I see these visuals as you speak and, and I always try to share them because if I'm wrong, you know, definitely tell me that now you missed the boat or yeah, yeah, you got it. So, um, and I hope that always helps the listeners. Now, guys, if you would like more information uh, from David. I'm going to give you his website as usual. I promise I'll put it on the Architect of Change webtalkradio.net platform, but it's www.davidlowmsphd.com and low is no just L- the no, exactly. I was just going to say on low it's just L-O-W. There's no E. Also, uh, you can go through the, the website and also on Amazon, right? They could get the book Universal Spiritual Philosophy and Practice if you guys right. are interested for more. They could get that through Amazon or through the website, right, David? Right, sure, absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. And you guys, if you need me, if you need help with business stuff, sales stuff, cultural uh, changes, and of course, helping your team communicate more effectively with clients, uh, definitely reach out to me. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm ready to help. My email, direct email is Connie at WhitmanAssos.com, and I do respond to that personally, and I do always look forward to hearing from uh, my listeners, and, you know, I, I love feedback, so share away, guys. Uh, again, I'll post everything on the Web Talk Radio platform, so David, everybody will know how to reach you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Well, thank you. I'm very grateful to be here. Thanks again, guys. Yeah, I love having you. 
Yes, thank you. I hope you guys will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together how to grow and challenge ourselves so we all embrace uh, change and realize that change is possible and easier than we think. Um, thanks, David, for being an awesome guest, and thank you all for joining me. You've been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. Thank you so much, everyone. Have an inspired week, and just look at things from a different perspective. You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. Time may change me, but I can't.